The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. The resurrection of Jesus actually changes everything. It's a complete game changer in life. It really is. Uh, unlike Buddha, Gandhi, Krishna, and all these other uh, religious faith leaders, Jesus is the only one who said, I have the authority to lay my life down, and I have the authority to pick it back up again. No one did that. No one proved that. Jesus is alive. And I know he's alive because he's alive in my life. He changed me. Does anybody in the room have that story? He changed. See, he can't do that if he's not alive, because to be honest with you, as great as this story is, the story doesn't change me, but God, Jesus changes us. Amen? He is alive. He is called the living God. It's my favorite name of God in the Bible is the living God, because he's so alive. And that's important to stress, because some people are, are raised with different backgrounds, with faith or without faith, and the view of God is like God is out there somewhere on the other side of the universe. He's not happy. He's upset. He wrote some rules, and he gave them out to us, and that is not the nature of the living God. He is so alive. He sent his son to show us how alive he is, and not only is he changing many of you in, in this room's lives and my life, he's changing lives of people every day. And I get to talk to people whose lives are being changed, and I know he is so alive. So my prayer is today, I don't know how alive he is to you, but I pray today that you are going to see just how alive he is and how alive he wants to be in your life and specifically what it means to live again. The thing about God is he gives fresh starts. It says, behold, I make all things new. He does fresh starts all the time. We're going to see in the passage how Jesus literally takes death, listen to this, takes death and throws death off. I mean, throws death off. And the Bible says this, that if you're a believer, if you're in Christ, check this out, if you die in Christ, that you will rise in Christ. This is really powerful. Uh, as a pastor, I get to do a lot of cool things. Uh, people have, uh, I get to do weddings, which is a lot of fun, and people jumping into life together and uh, journey together. I get to uh, dedicate babies, which is a lot of fun, you know, uh, to do that. And on the other side of life, I also get to do uh, funeral services. And I'll be honest with you, the thing about funeral services, sometimes you're doing a funeral for people you know and you love. Sometimes you don't know much about them. Sometimes you know nothing at all about them. You're trying to know about them as you're preparing for the service, and everyone's all over the place, but we all have this in common. We all have a birth date, we all have an expiration date, and we all have the dash in between, amen? Right now, all of us in this room, we're living in the dash. The dash is all we got. We didn't make the birthday. We can own the dash, and we don't know that expiration date. But I've done funerals around expiration dates. Some of them, they saw it coming. Some of them had no idea it was coming. But the bottom line is, the one thing about these, and I always pray, I always wonder this, because some people I know they died in Christ, and I know they're going to rise in Christ, and that is an epic celebration. But some people, that doesn't sound so sure. And I'll be honest with you, I'm hearing the story, or where are they at, and what were they like, and I'm trying to understand, you know, to honor this person's life, but... In my heart of hearts, I'm saying, Father, will this one rise again? Will this one rise again? Only you know, God, will this one rise again? And this is what's important. The Bible talks about two deaths. It talks about a first death and a second death. And the Bible's like, don't worry about the first one. 
Don't worry about the first one. The second one is what matters. And the Bible is saying for those who are in Christ that we're going to be able to say this to death, that you're going to be able to say this to death right in the faith. You're going to say, death, where is your sting? Where is your sting, death? Is that all you got? If you die in Christ, you're going to be able to say that to death. Where is your sting? Because if you die in Christ, you will rise in Christ and you'll say, death, get off me. And there's life 2.0 on the other side. That is epic. It is monumental. We're going to see how Jesus modeled it. It is super cool. We're going to be looking at some scriptures today uh, that are going to show us um, this timeline. But I want to honor the time of the season. This is Passover week. Uh, For any of our Jewish friends that might be here today, epic time. Uh, Jesus was celebrating Passover himself on this very time of the year, uh, calendar time of the year, and he went into Jerusalem. He had a Passover meal, and I want to look at some of those pieces so we can appreciate just how powerful uh, the resurrection is. It says this in, um, in Luke 18. I'm gonna, we're going to put some of these on the screen uh, just to get a snapshot of the, the fullness of the picture that's going on, and it says this. It says, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem And everything that's written by the prophets and about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Uh, He will be handed over to the Gentiles. Uh, They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. The apostles did not understand this. Everything was going so well. Why, Jesus? More following, more understand, more getting healed, more getting free, more understanding your love and power, forgiveness and mercy. Why does it have to end? They didn't understand this. John chapter 10, 17 says this. Jesus said, I lay down my life. He's explaining to them. I lay down my life only to take it back up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to pick it up. That word in in the Bible in Greek is power authority. I have the power to lay it down and the power to pick it up. Nobody in history has ever dared make a statement like that. Not a prophet, not a miracle worker, not a religious leader. Nobody could ever say that I can lay my life down and I got the power to pick it right back up again. This is power. We're talking about to live again. Jesus modeled it. The Bible calls him the first fruits. Everyone say first fruits. First fruits is this. You got an orange tree on the back and pop, you finally got a cool orange. California navel. Come on. Can I get a shout out for Cal? We get a great navel in like January. And you know what that means? That means March and April. You're going to have a whole bunch of these things coming in. You got your first fruit. It came off the tree. Here is proof. Here is evidence. There is more to come. And that's what Jesus is when it comes to living again. That's why this day is a game changer. It should be a game changer. And if it's not, it can be a game changer for you. So John chapter 19, Jesus is on the cross. A couple of things that he said on the cross. Jesus is on the cross, paying for the sins of the world. He said, it is finished. And all of a sudden, the Bible said he breathed his last and went lifeless. But to make sure, to make sure the Roman government wasn't going to be satisfied with that, to make sure before he could be taken down from the cross, they put a spear in his side and blood flowed until water flowed. And medically speaking, what that means is there's simply no blood left to flow. Water flows after the blood. And that says Jesus poured it all out for us. There was none on reserve. He poured it all out. He, he bled out for us completely. And uh, you got to know he gave his all for us. That's the principle. Joseph said, you know what? I'm going to put him in my own tomb out of respect, out of honor. Joseph had, was a wealthy guy. He had a really nice tomb. I've 
actually been to Israel. We have a picture of this tomb, I believe. Um, this is the place they believe is the location of the garden tomb. And uh, this is where Jesus, um, uh, historians believe this is the place. Now, when you're looking at there, it looks like there's a, a gutter in the front or a curb in the front. That's because a massive stone, probably about this wide and you know, very tall up to the ceiling, would roll along that little ledge right there. It would roll like in a slot. And when it got to the doorway, it fell down in a big ditch and you couldn't get it out. So you would put it there and you would seal it. By the way, when they excavated and found this tomb, up above it, see where the rocks are carved out up here? Up above it, they found etchings, carvings from a church from the Byzantine era, which is started in around 300, that there was a church back around the era of 300 who believed that this was the exact location. So when we found it and discovered it, uh, we have some good proof. Not only does it fit where the Bible said the tomb would be right next to the place of the skull, uh, there was a garden there. They discovered this place. There was a big wine press and a garden when they excavated, but they found out up above it, there was in fact a church from the year 300 who made their services here and said this is in fact the place. So we're kind of sure, we can't be positive, but this is the tomb. We've had the privilege to go there in Israel. It's an amazing place. Um, when you go inside the tomb, we went there one time. Um, it was really amazing. Got to go in there and uh, inside the tomb, we, we went in and Israel's the kind of place, there could be tour buses with a lot of people or could be nobody. You have no idea. And the way God did it was really amazing. Uh, we happened to hit these spots. No one was there. We got it to ourselves. So we got to go in and we brought a guitar and we closed. There's a door, a wooden door to close. And we're inside the tomb. It's dark. And we just start worshiping. And as we're worshiping God inside this tomb, it was a pretty epic experience. While it's going on, I, I mean, eyes are closed. We're just singing to the Lord. There's a group of us, about five or six of us. And all of a sudden, I noticed the door open once or twice. I didn't take much notice. But when we walked out, I realized there was a, there was a, a guy from Japan. There was a girl from Brazil and somebody else from Germany. They also were backpacking, and they came, and they came in the tomb. And we're all just worshiping in there together. And I just love the nature of God, that every tribe, tongue, and nation coming to respect and honor who he is and, and what he did there. And there's a sign inside there, and it's a sign we see from Scripture. Why are you looking for the living on behalf of the dead. Like you want to go in there and you're hoping to see Jesus because this is where he was. It's like, you're not going to find him here. He is risen. He's alive. So it's an amazing place and it is likely uh, the place we don't know for sure. But I think that was an amazing experience. If you ever get to go there, uh, you should go. Um, but the other thing about it is um, there's, this is what scripture says in Matthew 28. Um, on the resurrection day, Jesus is in that tomb Three days, cold and lifeless. And we got to remind us that because there's always the skeptic, and many of us have a skeptical side. Does anybody in the room have a skeptical side? Come on, I'm from New York City. I was born skeptical. Anybody else skeptical? Yeah. So, so we go, yeah, well, what if that, and what if that, and maybe it was this, and maybe he wasn't already dead all the way, right? I mean, that's come up. What if that, and what if he's... No, no Jesus was dead. He bled until there was blood, and he was cold, and he was pulseless, and he was in this tomb dead for three days. And this is where it begins in Matthew uh, 28. And I'm just going to, um, we're going to look at this real quick. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, by the way, on the first day of the week. By the way, that's why the church has been celebrating uh, Jesus, celebrating the Sabbath ever since on this, fir on this first day of the week. After the Sabbath on Sunday, we're going to see his resurrection. And from then, for the last 2,000 years, that's when people's celebration day of God happened to move 
from Saturday, Sabbath, to Sunday, the first day of the week, because of this event we're reading right here. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. It moves on in verse 16, and it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It's interesting, some, many of them, most of them worshipped, but some doubted, which tells there's always skeptics among us. Sometimes we're the skeptic in the room. I know I've done that. Christy's explained something to me, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, you know, know, I want to have faith in certain things, but I don't want to have faith in anything. Amen, right? Is that true? I want to have faith in things that are from God, things that are worthy of placing my faith in. Faith is only as good as the object in which you place it. Listen, your faith is only as good as the object in which you place it. You place your faith in God, it is golden, it is good. You place your, stuff, your faith in other stuff and you might get set up for a disappointment because it's only as good as the object in which you place it. In this case right here, it says they worshiped him. You can only worship when you know what you know what you know what you know and that's why you worship. You're not doubting, confused, you worship, but it says some, uh, some doubted him, and that is going on to explain the next passage is doubting Thomas, who is the one who doubted. And it says that 11, 10 of them saw Jesus early on, and like, we are convinced, and then later on, they're telling Thomas, and Thomas, Thomas is like, yeah, I'm not buying that. Uh, we saw him bleed out, guys. We saw the water come out. He was in the tomb for three days, no pulse, cold, no life. I know he said that, but I'm not buying it. If I don't see with my eyes, if I don't touch him with my hands, if I don't like stick my finger in where his nails went, if I don't get to put my, I'm not buying it. And many of us can be like that. Now, Thomas was a Christ follower and he still had truckloads of doubts. And sometimes you and I are skeptical. We have these doubts. We're not sure. God, I got to see it first. You got to give me a sign. You got to show me something uh, because if you don't show me, I'm not going to take any steps. Uh, and that's not what faith is. Faith is taking steps even though you don't see, amen? Faith is the assurance of the things you hope for, the conviction of the unseen. And again, when you're aiming it at God, you're good. But if you're not aiming it at God, then we're just winging it. But it moves on in John chapter 20, and it says this. It explains this exact passage, which I think speaks volumes to us. It says, now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not 
believe. I know that. I got friends like Thomas. Anybody got friends like Thomas? Okay, let's be real about this. Sometimes we're in Thomas mode ourselves. And uh, if you're Thomas, no offense, Thomas was epic. He ended up being a world changer after this. This is a transparent moment in his life where we get to just see his doubts and fears. And we all have doubts and fears. We're just getting to see Thomas is highlighted here. And Thomas says, I'm not going to believe anything without proof. I got to see it to believe it. And he represents a lot of people, even you and I at times. Here's, here, here's what we need to take away from this, guys. As many say, prove it and then I'll believe, right? Prove it and then I'll believe. But that's, that's not what God's saying. God is saying, no, believe and then I'm going to prove it. We're saying, prove it and then I'll believe. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Believe and then I'll prove it. Because believing is faith, amen? And God is a rewarder of faith. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God has always rewarded faith. Uh, The Bible is full of stories, regular people like me and you who simply had faith in the things that God said. And when you believe what God says and you take him at his word and you place your faith in him and start walking, you will begin to see the evidences. You will begin to see the proofs of God in your life. And, but you got to take a step. you got to be willing. you got to trust He is good, and He will honor your step of faith, even a small one, even a small one. You start taking steps, and God will, will honor that. And so Thomas uh, needed to see it to uh, believe it. And it's hard to describe exactly what this would have looked like. I mean, like in our mind, what would it look like? So we have a movie clip for you here, and this may be what it uh, possibly looked, at, looked like. Everyone, the tomb is open. He's alive. That's not possible. I saw him. Mary, maybe it was someone else. You think I'm mad? Peter, see the tomb for yourself. Now, do you believe me? But he's gone. Gone? No. He's back. I need a cup and some wine. What happened? His body. His blood. I am the way. The truth. And the life.
Thomas. Stop doubting. that I love that so it's hard to imagine but I think it looks something like that Um, but the Thomas element is in all of us we have friends family neighbors people and sometimes we get into that zone too and Jesus has a word for you this morning and that word is stop doubting and believe stop doubting and believe listen if God said it stop doubting him if God didn't say it maybe you should doubt it and you should check your source material on everything in life, especially where we place our hope, our trust, and our dreams when we put them in other things and other people. But if God uh, says it, and if God is uh, green lighting something, and God is aiming you, then, then you run with that, and you thank him, and you seek his will, and seek his counsel, and you take steps of faith. But, but this was an amazing model of doubt limiting and controlling someone's entire future when if they stepped into faith, they would, they would have seen life completely different. But listen, guys, the, the resurrection of Jesus is a reality. It is a reality. The Bible lists over 300 verses in the New Testament about the resurrection. There's seven different appearances. Jesus even appeared to 500 people at one time. Famous Jewish historian, you can look him up on Wiki. His name is Josephus. Uh, he documented more history from this time period than anybody in the world. He documented uh, scrolls and scrolls of just facts that are uh, all published. And uh, the great Jewish historian Josephus wrote that Jesus was condemned to death on a cross, but on the third day rose again and appeared to others. That's in secular literature documented. And the greatest proof of the resurrection, one of the greatest proofs is the church. Listen, the early church were told, you better stop talking about this Jesus. And they whipped him and they beat him. And they said, listen, if you do it again, we are going to throw you to the lions. And you know what they said? Do what you need to do. But we can't stop speaking about the things that we've seen and what we've heard. We've seen it. We've heard it. How are we going to stop talking about? See, if it's just a story that you might have heard handed down, a nice story, uh, you could say, okay, I don't want to die over that. But if you've seen and heard it with your own eyes and with your own ears and your own experience, you can't help but speaking about it. And the early church is like, listen, the greatest proof of the resurrection is the early church that said, do what you need to do. I know what I've seen and know what I've heard. I know what I experienced. I know he's real. I know he's alive. And there's nothing that's going to stop that. Uh, The other greatest uh, proof is us, our stories. I have a God story. God has changed my life. I wouldn't be here today if Jesus Jesus wasn't alive. I wouldn't be talking to you today if Jesus wasn't alive. He is alive because dead people can't change lives, but only the living God can change lives. And he is real. And I have encountered him in ways, I'm not going to say these profound ways with, you know, I'm not going to say that way, but he's spoken to me. He leads me. He guides me. He shows me. He reveals things. Everything the Bible says he will do. In fact, we're going to be doing an awesome 
three-week series beginning next week about the power of God in your life, the power that Jesus talks about, to lead and to guide and to empower you to walk in the fullness of everything he's calling you to do. And the reason we need to stress that is because many people, again, think, okay, God did something, and then we have these rules to follow, and I can't really pull this off, and I don't have the strength. Uh, If you were taught that, uh, you were missing a major component, specifically the power of God's Spirit in your life to live out the fullness of life the way God designed. And Jesus says the same thing. Don't go anywhere till you've received the fullness of the Holy Spirit because you can't go out and be a world changer unless you've been empowered by God. But some faiths have left that out and it's such a monumental component to God's kingdom and his design. And we're gonna be doing, uh, looking at that in the next three weeks in a series. But uh, the other greatest proof of the resurrection is, you know, God is changing lives every day. I get to hear people's stories and their God stories. Anybody got a God story in the room? Um, the cool thing about God's story, you're hearing new ones all the time about God engaging somebody, uh, literally like encountering them and setting up a divine appointment or a circumstance. And then the next, and it's like, this is way beyond coincidence. This is way beyond happenstance. This is encountering God's direction in our life and his will and his revelation in our life. And, and this is happening all over the world. In Africa, the church is blowing up. In China, it's blowing up. The underground church, these are encounters. People are having encounters with the living God. This isn't just a story. The story is powerful, and the story is real, and the word is alive, and yet it's the living God changing lives all over the place. So, so cool. Um, You know, a thing about the resurrection, um, we talk about the resurrection. Jesus says things about the resurrection. He says a lot of things. Again, there's 300 scriptures in the New Testament about the resurrection, but you and I in life, when we go through life every day on the job or at Starbucks or at the gym, the word resurrection doesn't really come up. It's not a word we use in our vocabulary, but it, but it was a very popular word in the early church talking about this, this word. Now, uh, I just want to break it down so we get an understanding of this word, because I think you might relate to it this way. Um, have any of you in this room ever um, had to have a medical procedure uh, where you had to go under anesthesia. Anybody had to go under a- anesthesia? It's the wildest thing, okay? So they, they juice you up, however they do it, with anesthesia. And um, all of a sudden, they're talking to you, and you're like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Yeah, what's going on? I'm doing it. Just out. Poof. Just gone, okay? Now, while you're out and you're gone, they could do anything. They could open you up, start swapping out organs, <laughs> leaving parts out, you know, like the cartoon, leaving half the parts out. Um, but whatever they do, <laughs> you're out, you are out, you are out under, you're under anesthesia, right? You're under anesthesia. And the hope, the hope with anesthesia is that you completely wake up on the other side of anesthesia. Isn't that what anesthesia does? Put you out deep, they do whatever has to be done, and you wake up fully uh, on the other side. That's what anesthesia is. Here's what's interesting. Jesus is using this word resurrection. The word he's using is anastasis. It is the word where we get our word anesthesia from. The word anesthesia is based on Jesus' word anastasis. And it literally means to rise up again, to rise back to life. It means a a resurgence of power from death to life. And, And that's the only word they could come up with when they invented anesthesia. It's like, I don't know, it seems like they're dead. They don't respond to anything. They could work, and then they come back again. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's almost like a miracle to come up with anesthesia. And so they're like, it's, 
that word anastasis. It's like you're out and gone and you come back again. But here's the deal. They didn't have anesthesia 2,000 years ago. Jesus wasn't talking about a drug to pass out to go under. He was talking about death, no pulse, flatline, gone, dead, termination, and then poof, rising back up to life just like he did on the third day. When Jesus talks of resurrection, he talks of you on the other side, life 2.0, poof, waking back up to life again. That to me is so, so powerful. He was talking about something so much bigger uh, than anesthesia, literally you rising to life uh, after death. And that is a choice. Listen, rising to life on the other side of this life, do you want, is absolutely a choice. It's our choice. It's one of these things that say, you know, the Bible is saying, uh, do you want to have the power to throw off death? Do you want to have the power to say, death, where is your sting? Do you want to have the power of anastasis, of God's power to do that? And that is a choice. And some like, yes, I want to be in Christ. I want to live in Christ. And when I die, I'm going to die in Christ. And when I rise, I'm going to rise in Christ. But that is a straight up choice. And Jesus was trying to explain that to people all along. After Jesus rose, they started to put the pieces together and go, now I'm starting to get it. This is what Martha said in John chapter 11. It's an amazing passage and it explains this anastasis. This is the word Jesus is using in the passage. Jesus said to her, I am the anastasis. Jesus is talking to Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I'm telling you this for the reason. Do you believe it? He just dropped it on her. Here's the truth. Do you accept it? Do you own it? Will you embrace it? And she's like, yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So Martha is going, I hear you, Anastasis. You are the Anastasis. If I'm in you, I too will rise. And uh, the Bible is full of uh, promises, promises um, that if we're in relationship with Christ, we will rise in Christ. And that's really, really important. Uh, in fact, I'm going to just wrap up in a second here, but if the worship team would come up, that would be great. I just want to share a couple last little things. Guys, that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It changes your future. It changes your present. It changes the way you live. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus, if he did not rise, then it was just a really cool story of great healing, great miracle workers, and uh, that's great, but he said he'd rise and he didn't. And if he didn't rise, well, then great. Then, then he really wasn't the way and the truth and the life because to be the truth, you got to do what you say you're going to do. And he wasn't able to pull it off. But if he did, then he was the way and the truth and the life. He wasn't one of the ways, one of the many ways. Someone once said, all roads lead to God. And uh, I think I heard um, um, uh, Greg Laurie saying, well, it is true, all roads lead to God. And I was like, Greg Laurie, you sure you want to say that? He goes, no, no, all roads lead to God. It doesn't matter what path you take at the end, everyone's going to stand before him one day. Everyone's going to, every knee's going to bow time. Everyone's going to stand before Jesus one day. And so you will either know him as a friend. You will be a friend of God. You will be an adopted son or daughter of God, which is a choice. Or you'll say, no, thank you. I don't want part of your family. I don't want to enter a relationship. And the thing I got to say about this too, guys, and this is, this is close to my heart. When we think of God, and the, the Bible explains him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but when we, when we think of God, some people think of the Father. And, and in this room, there are all kinds of different ideas, all kinds of 
memories, all kinds of heart conditions to uh, the reality of father, specifically what we've had on earth. My father was a hardworking man, but he was gone a lot working all the time. Uh, He was pretty harsh with rules. Uh, He taught us some work ethic, but he had a serious drinking problem. And uh, many of you had different kinds of fathers. Even if you had a great father, uh, your father doesn't hold a candle, a candle to the magnitude and love of the living God, the heavenly father. And I say this because some fathers on earth were absent. Some were not even fathers. They don't even qualify as a father. Um, some fathers were, could have been abusive. Some fathers or mothers too. But the point is this, we, we take all this bundle of stuff and that is the filter and that's the filter that we look at God. Whatever our earthly experience is, we, we put that on and we, we look at God that way and we said, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I want relationship. I don't even know if relationship is doable or attainable. And even if it was, I don't know if I want it. Let me just tell you something today. If that's you, take these off. Take those off and leave them off. Uh, because the Heavenly Father, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. You might not even know what that means in your life yet. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. He loves, what a, what a love the Father has lavished on us that we get to become children of God, sons and daughters of God, adopted ones, uh, and we get in on these profound things that the Bible offers, but it's through relationship. And the whole purpose of the cross was quite simply this, summarizing the Bible in one thing. We all mess up. We all fall short. We all have shortcomings, mistakes. We can call it whatever we want. We could say it's our messed up personality or my past. It doesn't matter what we call it. The Bible says it's sin, we fall short, and that blocks relationship with God. We can hope it doesn't. We can wish it doesn't, but it does. And there's only one way to get rid of it. The Bible says there can't be any remission taken away of sins without the outpouring of blood. And the whole Old Testament, you could read story and story. After, well, we did the sacrifice, and it took away things for about a day until we messed up again, right? About a day later, we mess up again. And then we do this, and we mess up again. We do this, and we mess up again. And when I was young, I went to a church, and you had to keep going back to a confess and, and say these three prayers or something. And then it takes them away until I mess up like the next hour or next day. And, and, and this keeps on happening. It never goes away. And, and Jesus was announced as, look, here's the one, Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world. He's the lamb. Passover weekend. Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Amen? It was Passover weekend. The Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And here's the deal. If you, if you believe God, if you believed God, you took the blood of the lamb, Passover, and you put it on your doorposts. And if you applied the blood of the lamb to your doorpost, to your home, to your house, to your temple, so to speak, you will be free. Anything negative is going to pass over you and you're going to be set free into a promised land. Jesus comes on the same day. He's announced as the lamb who takes away everything. He fulfilled everything he said he was going to do. He takes away the sins of the world. He did it so we can have a restored relationship with God. It's about intimacy with God. It's about relationship with God. It's not rules. It's not religion. And I I just want to encourage you guys. I want to close in a prayer today. But listen, uh, some of you might be here checking this out or open or intrigued or uh, out of respect or out of honor. But listen, Jesus isn't one who just said, hey, um, just believe in the principle of my story. He said, follow me. He said, follow me. So I, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I want to close in a prayer and I want to give you an opportunity this morning to do some business with God, have an action point with God. God is saying on the day that you hear my voice, don't 
harden your heart. He says that, why? Because we harden our hearts, and I did it so many times. I heard this offer, I heard this presentation, I felt the pull of relationship with God, and I said, yeah, I don't know, I'm not ready for that. And that was the biggest mistake of my life and the most wasted years of my life. When I heard the voice and I still held back, I just want to encourage you today, don't do that. The most liberating day is saying, God, I surrender, but I'm surrendering to your love, to your power, to your ways, to your will, to your knowledge. I want to start walking it out your way, God. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You're the king of the universe. You're the creator. I'm not. You made me. You're the potter. I'm the clay. Who am I to tell you what I'm made for? You know me better than I'm. I know myself. You said you saw my unformed body. All the days ordained were ordained for me before I even took my first breath. Who am I to fight you, God, your love, and you're calling me through your son's provision. I want to close in prayer, but I want to encourage you to, uh, to, to, to just pray and ask God, God, is it time? Are you calling me into a deeper relationship? And uh, I just want to pray this morning. And if that's you, uh, no one's looking at you, but I just want you to stand before God. Everybody else, just close your eyes. Uh, if, if you feel like God's calling you into deeper relationship this Resurrection Sunday, that this is not coming on a res- uh, Easter Sunday and doing your diligence or anything, but God's calling you into a deeper place because he is alive and he wants to show you how alive he is. I want to ask you to stand this morning and I want to pray for us this morning. Just stand if that's you. We'll take a second. No one's looking at you. Just stand and say, hey God, I'm open. I don't get it all. I don't have to understand it all, but I'm open to this life. I'm open to your ways. I don't have to get all the proof. I'm going to take the step, and I'm going to trust that you're going to prove it uh, when I take steps, even if it's a baby step. And I'm just going to say, God, I don't have it down, but you're the king. I'm not. I'm going to actually say it in my heart today. I'm saying it out loud by standing up, and, and God, just be the king of my life. Show me what it means to walk with you. I don't fully know, but I'm ready to learn. And that is where the epic journey of purpose and destiny begins. Mighty God, we come before you today and we ask you. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.